be here. Um, and then I got the word. No, <laughs> I was just kidding. No, uh, something happened this weekend that um, I really felt was significant. And I want to pre-frame a little bit before I get into what I'm going to share that I love you. And I want to pre-frame that God loves you and that God's love, it's impactful. And sometimes it's sharp. Sometimes it's inviting. It's always inviting. Um, it's never pushing away. But sometimes the Lord wants to get at a root issue of things. Sometimes the Lord wants to go deeper. Sometimes the Lord, <laughs> he wants to make sure you look like him. And there's freedom in that. And it's always into invitation. So um, I'm just going to kind of share what happened to me this weekend um, without, you know, trying to get into too many details. Uh, I'm not a warfare happy guy, meaning I don't I don't call everything warfare most of the time when I'm seeing things or things happen. I try to be more benefit of the doubt, like life happens sometimes. I don't try to call everything the devil. Um, but I do know warfare is real, and I have experienced it. Um, and Saturday morning um, was an interesting mo morning for me because uh, I already had the word prepared. I kind of had, I guess, like a skeleton of what I was going to share, and I was going to kind of just finish it, and then Saturday morning happened. And what happened, basically, um, is I woke up, and I had this tremendous mental warfare, I guess I'll call it, of things that were just plaguing my mind that were going to destroy my marriage. It w I felt specifically it was an attack on my mental strength towards my wife. And just so everyone knows, that's not a normal thing for me. You know, I'm newly married. I'm still in the honeymoon stage. You know, things are great. We're, we're learning how to get through simple things, but we were so excited and so Anything to get in between me and my marriage, it just, it was so strange. And all that was happening is it felt like the affection I have towards my wife, it wanted to be robbed and placed somewhere else. And I, I began to pray because it was so bombarding. And I prayed through, I said, God, I just, I, I rebuke that. And Lord, I take that thought captive. And I, what is going on? So I began to pray for marriages in this region. I began, and I think it's so funny. We're all, for the majority of us here. I'm the youngest marriage one here, so bear with me as I preach the word about marriage, <laughs> okay? Um, give me grace. Well, that morning, I, you know, we were just talking with, with Wesley and Tommy, and, and I just said, hey, you know, this is what happened. And she actually had a dream that night, and I'm not going to get into full details of the dream, but it was the same picture. It was, there was an attack on our marriage specifically, but I didn't take it as a personal word. I took it as a regional word, a reality of something that's going on in the spiritual realm in Carmel, Maine. Did I say that right? Carmel, Maine. Okay. So that makes sense? That's the preframe of where we're going tonight. And so what I started to pray into is what is something that would attack, and it's not just marriage, it's not limited to, what would attack our life, our walk with the Lord? What would get in between us and him? And the enemy wants to do so much to sow seeds of discord, seeds of, of perversion, seeds of uh, addictions, things that we feel like we'll never be free from. And so when I started praying, I said, God, the only way that this will find place is if we have hidden sin that would have any open door for this to find place. And so what would happen in my heart was the Lord's, I said, Lord, search my heart and know me. I need to know you. And I said, Lord, if this word is about me and my marriage, open my eyes to any blindness now, because I don't want anything to get in between us. The Lord doesn't want anything to get in between you and him. And so there comes that time when his word is sharp and it just convicts. But why does God convict us? It's not to condemn us. It's not to condemn us. It's to invite us into freedom. And so I have a scripture that I'm going to read just to preframe, and then I'm going to pray for us. 
because I need to hear this word just as much as you do, okay? This is a family affair, and I don't know anything about your lives. Not one of you, okay? I know a little bit about them, but that's about it. But the Lord knows, and the Lord is jealous for us. So Hebrews 12, this is amazing. This is the pre-frame tonight. I'm going to be reading most tonight. I'm usually a night church guy, sorry, it's a habit. This morning, uh, I'm going to be bouncing between Passion Translation and NLT. I, I read the Passion Translation as, um, you know, just as like a secondary, uh, some things I really love about it. There's some things I'm like, eh. But I, for me, I've, I've read, I've studied some of the words in here, and I love the way it, it displays it. So that's where I'll be bouncing back and forth from throughout the day. Hebrews 12, 5 through 13. The Lord says, have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. When he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. So let's just first say, Lord, your, your correction is affirmation of your love to me. It's not your rejection of me. He loves us. Fully embrace this correction. We all should welcome God's discipline. That should be a prayer. It should be part of our life. God, correct me. Convict me. Make me more like you. It's messy, but it's an invitation. We should all welcome it as validation of authentic sonship. For if we never once endured his correction, it only proves that we are strangers, not sons. I, isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his, submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for a short time. Maybe not everyone that's true, um, but it was just a part of the teaching here as they were teaching the church. You know, you may have received that correction before, but it was always for your own good. Even if it didn't come out, you know, I just speak to any, like, wounded relationship with parents. You know, we do our best. We're sinful. We're sinful beings, and sometimes things don't go well. I had a messy childhood. Correction wasn't good. It definitely wasn't the affirmation of love in my life. Okay, it was messy, but the Lord is good. It may seem to be more pain than pleasure at the time, yet righteousness, excuse me, yet later it will produce a transformation of character. This is the best part. This is the good news. Later, it will produce a transformation of your character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. Mind you, it's not everyone that will receive that. You have to yield to this thing. It's hard. It's a submission. It's a death. But when the Lord corrects you, the yielding of it is what produces the transformation. So be made strong, even in your weakness, by lifting up your tired hands in prayer. Again, invitation, worship. It says, be strengthened as you pray and worship. Why would the Lord say to come to me and worship in your sinful state? You would think you have to be all fixed and stuff, right? That's the lie that we often try to, try to battle through in our mind. But the reality is, he says, he's, the boast of our weakness is worship to him. You can come to him with your weak, tired knees and in worship. And this is my favorite part. For as you keep walking forward on God's paths, all your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. 
That's the reason he corrects you. That's the reason he corrects me. That's the reason for the Lord's word to come and, and, and change our hearts because he wants you healed. So God warns us of some things in the end times. I'm going to just kind of preface. The reason that correction is good in the church, and I want to pray before we go forward, is because he doesn't want us to fall into what he warns us is coming. And there is a lot of warnings in scripture that what comes in the end times. And a lot of it has to do with the people, the lovers of God, falling away from the Lord. And how does that happen? How do people who are so in love with God fall away from God? Like picture us, all of us here, I, I believe all of us here love Jesus. You can't fathom in your head the thought of falling away from God. Nobody plans to fall away from God. But there are things of compromises, of seeds that don't get undealt with, unresolved sin, hidden sin, partially revealed sin. Those things are what creep into our minds. They sear our hearts, our consciences. And before we know it, we harden our hearts to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then we find ourselves wayward. And then we find ourselves hard. And then our, our counsel around us can't even speak to us. And you see people who you loved with all your heart all of a sudden fall away from God. And he warns us that this happens. So my invitation when I'm into, if there's anything that's going to happen today, is I'm going to say, God, don't let that happen to me. How do I say, do not let that happen to me? Lord, convict my heart of any wicked way in me. Search me, know me. That's what the Lord wants out of us today. So God, I just want to pray. If you guys want to agree with me, what I want to pray is that we'd invite the correction of the Lord into our hearts today because it's a safeguard. So Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for loving us, God. We thank you, Lord, that you sent someone to help us, that you would not leave us as orphans, but you would lead us into all truth. And those who believe in the truth, the truth shall set you free. There's freedom in the response to conviction. So, Lord, we invite it today in Jesus' name. So the overarching theme of today is that God, he is always after wholeheartedness. It doesn't matter what season you're in. If you're in a dry season, if you're in an abundant season, you are, you, the Lord is after wholeheartedness from us. He's after this place where we are clinging to him more than anything else. And there's these wilderness seasons. Maybe some of you have gone through a wilderness season recently. But it's good to know that that is a season where you have to cling to the Lord. Those, in a way, they are the most difficult but the most fruitful seasons in your life with the Lord because you'll cling to him and know him and, and, and be desperate for him. It's, it produces a holiness in you. And then you're tested in seasons of abundance where you may cling to things other than him. But the Lord is always bringing us back to him, always bringing us back to him. Find me. And this is a word for somebody. If you feel like the season that you're in is long lasting and you don't see the end of it, find him, cling to him, run to him, submit your yes, be a person of faithfulness because it produces a harvest of righteousness in you. What is that all for? To bring glory to the king. Our calling on this earth is to bring glory to a perfect God and somehow he uses broken me and you to do that. How is that done? Through obedience, through submission. So the end time, 2 Timothy 4.1, it says, this is speaking to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. In the presence of God, our great God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is destined, you know, declaration over Timothy, you are destined to judge both the living and the dead by the revelation of his kingdom. I solemnly instruct you to proclaim the word of God and stand upon it no matter what. Rise to the occasion. Preach when it's convenient and when it's not, which is how I felt when I got this word. 
This didn't feel convenient to me because I was, I'm an encourager. That's who I am. But I'm learning something about God. Even the words that are sharp are encouraging because there's an answer. There's always a correction to an invitation. There's never a correction in a distance. I was corrected by my dad a lot and just left to figure it out. But a good parent corrects and teaches. In the Holy Spirit, he corrects and then he teaches and then he leads you and then he equips you to do it. Crazy. We have an amazing God. So he says to them, it's when it's convenient, when it's not, preach the full expression of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom and the patience as you instruct and teach his people. For the time, this is the warning, for the time is coming where the people will no longer listen or respond to the healing words of truth because they will become selfish and proud. They will seek out teachers with soothing words to line up with their own desires. If this isn't evident on the earth today, I don't know what is, but we've, God is saying over you, this will not be you. You guys will be lovers, and you already are. You're lovers of the truth, and it leads you to freedom. They will seek out teachers to um, seek words that line up with their desires, saying just what they need to hear. Some translations say the tickling of the ears. They they will close their ears to the truth and believe nothing but fables and myths. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. You need to be aware. God, he's saying this to the church. You need to be aware in the final days. The culture of society will become extremely fierce. People will be self-centered lovers of themselves, obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around with their arrogant pride and mock all that's right. Pretty heavy language, but we can see this. We can see this separation happening already on the earth. They ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful, ungodly. They will be addicted to hateful and malicious slander. They'll be slaves to their own desires. They'll be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good. They will act without restraint. They'll be wrapped in the clouds of their own conceit. They will, find it, they will find their delights and pleasures of this world rather than the pleasures of the loving God. Why is all of this being said? The Lord is warning you guys to be strong. Be strong in these times because I believe this. The word I was originally bringing to you guys is that God is calling this church to a church of leadership. He is equipping you. You're the church. You're the church. He's equipping you. And what happens is before he brings you to those places, he deals with your heart. Just like any good father would. He he wouldn't give the keys to a car to a five-year-old. He would teach you responsibility first. And sometimes he doesn't give the keys to a 20-year-old because they don't know responsibility. I'm not a parent yet, but I know I was said no to a lot when I asked for the car because I was disrespectful or whatever it might be. The Lord doesn't want you to destroy yourself with what he gives you. So he challenges us. He corrects us. He transforms us. He makes us ready for what the promise is. Because what is the worst thing in the world is not just to miss out on your promise, but to get it and lose it. To get the promise and not be ready for it. Saul was not ready for the promise, but David was being prepared in the cave. He was being prepared in the wilderness. He was being prepared in the hidden fields with with the sheep. There's something about the preparation of the heart for the harvest. And the Lord, I believe, over your house is, is speaking that. So moving forward, you know, um, Matthew 24 is another warning. You can expect to be persecuted or even killed. He's speaking to the first church when they were out there, preaching the gospel, the freedom of Christ. You know, but the truth is we can't be flippant in thinking that this may not affect us one day. I want to come to a place with the Lord where if somebody said, if you don't renounce Jesus, I'll kill your family, would I say I love Jesus in that moment? And I feel like every super Christian would be like, yeah, yeah, I'd say that. I've never had a gun to my head. I've never been threatened to be beheaded like people in the church right now overseas are being done. 
But the Lord, what did they see when they said, my life is not worth living. I am not going to renounce the name of my king. And they lose their life. There's a, there's a jealousy in my heart, and I'm not trying to, this is not what I'm preaching today. But I want to know that. I want to know that devotion, that I would be so clinging to the Lord that I would deny myself even to death for him. That's a funny trail. But the tr- they warned them that you'd be killed for him. This is encouraging. Imagine being sent out on a mission trip. Hey, guys, welcome. Coffee's in the back. We're going to have a good time today. So we're going to go out and preach today. There's a good chance you're going to die. They knew what they were signing up for. They were so convinced in their heart that God was worthy. I want that. Many will stop following him and fall away. They will betray one another, hate one another. You guys get it. It's all warnings. So why is this word coming today? Because I haven't got fully into it. The sharp part's coming, and it's good. But the Lord doesn't want you falling away. He doesn't. He's jealous for you. He's jealous. He, it says that his will is that none would perish. He doesn't want anyone falling away. He's good. The truth is, all of us can fall away easily. God wants us to be lovers of his word. And so James 1.22 in the New Living Translation, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. Let's just not be that. I don't want to be that person. We just listen to it. It says, do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing in the f- at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully, again, another promise. If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. He loves obedience more than anything else. And God is calling his church to holiness. And again, one last pre-frame before I jump into this. This word is for me too, okay? I'm going to respond. I'm going to be on the altar too after saying, God, I need your help because I don't want to be a statistic of a church that fell away. I don't want to be that. Ephesians 5, 26 said, Jesus died to make his church holy. He's talking about husbands, be devoted to your wives. Just as Jesus was devoted for the church, for Jesus, and then 26, Jesus died to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word. He's washing us today. He's washing us every day. But why is he doing it? To present her to himself. Jesus' reward on the earth, his bride, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So the invitation today is it's going to be an invitation of repentance, which sets you free. And so just I did a little I don't usually do word studies, but I was just wanted to read. What does repentance really mean? Well, translation of uh, a Greek meaning, it means to change your mind, to turn around, to go the opposite direction. There's a lot of things. But this definition was pretty cool. It said the full meaning is somewhat more than that. In the New Testament, the word metanoia, which is repentance, is often translated as repentance. But this kind of repentance is not about regret or guilt. And I promise you, regret and guilt does not set anybody free. Because Paul had a worldly sorrow. What was it based around? Himself. You know, when he was just about to be dethroned as king, he asked the prophet, will you at least go with me so it can appear? It was all about Saul's, like his appearance before man. And the problem with sin is it destroys sometimes this appearance that we're trying to protect. And so we hide our sin because we don't want people to truly see what's going on because we're going to either feel like we're rejected or that we're super sinful, like as if the person next to you isn't. 
And, and there's this reality in this wrestle of I'm just going to hide this. And the devil's like, I got you. That's exactly what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to hide that thing just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. When they hid from God, they knew him. The sin, they were con- condemned by their own sin, and they hid. And God said, where are you? Like he didn't know. He knew that where they were. What would have happened if they knew repentance in the garden? Digression. It's not about regret or guilt, guys. It implies making a decision, a a, a solid decision. I'm done with that. And just to help you guys receive this a little bit easier, I had some struggles that I still have to have a safeguard in my life that it had to come to a place where I had to make the decision that enough was enough. I dealt with addiction issues, and I was getting ready to get engaged, and I found a lot of freedom. You know, I'm going to – I'm trying to be careful here. So, you know, I – for anyone that wants to know a little bit more about what I went through, come see me after. I'm very open and transparent. Um, but sometimes not everything's helpful for to hear. Um, but my struggle, I felt like I would never be free. I tried. I tried my best. I, I, I fasted. I, I had apps on my phone. I had friends and accountability and phone numbers. And I would go to bed early. And all these work efforts that I had, which are good. And then finally... I found this freedom, and I started to pursue my wife. And I consider her such a pure woman of God. I'd been single for eight or so years, was a worship leader. I saw her as, you know, I probably held her way too high on the pedestal, um, which we dealt with when we got married. But I saw her as like, I'm this broken sinner with all this sin. She doesn't know anything that I've gone through. She, I have this appearance of holiness. But if, if they really knew what I go through on a regular basis, they would reject me. I lived that lie for four years. Start pursuing her. The Lord gives me freedom in some areas, and I was so excited. And then one day I fell into an old pattern, and I sinned against myself, the Lord, and her. I was engaged to her, and I went to God, and I said, God, how is, when is this going to stop? When is this going to end? And the Lord said to me, Chris, I want you to go to your pastor, Noah, and I want you to go to Elise, and I want you to tell them what you did. Humiliating. It was humiliating for me. But the Lord (laughs) was doing something in me. When I saw how much it broke her when she knew that I had sinned against her and against myself and against God, it changed something in me. It was no longer about just having this identity that I was trying to protect or whatever. It produced a godly sorrow in me that I fell on my face and I said, God, I don't want to do this again. And I have seen freedom in my life. I have seen it. I have, a, I have to be wise. I'm, I'm not flipping. I don't just do whatever I want. But there's hope, all right? There's hope for this thing. So it's not about shame and guilt. It implies making a decision to turn around. And there's a great example of this in the prodigal son. And for the sake of time, I don't want to get too in details on that because there's more at the bottom that I want to I wanna share. But you guys know the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son... He's a young kid, and he asks his dad for an inheritance. Like, I want all this money and all this thing, all the stuff that you owe me, give it to me. The father gives it to him. He runs off. You guys know the rest. He goes and destroys his life. He spends all his money on, on the world. He, he's involved in sin in, in a lot of areas. Comes to this breaking point where he finally says, it says, with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry. He, was, he had realized what he did was wrong. He wasn't in the inheritance anymore. He wasn't walking in what his father had for him. He had walked away from it, and he realized that 
He's missing something. He grew hungry. There was a severe famine in the land. So he begged. Now listen to this. He began as a new identity. He went from son to beggar. And when we sin, when we fail and we fall, something happens in our hearts sometimes. And I know, I know that Wesley has been nailing this thing with the orphan mindset, that we become different. All of a sudden, we go to God as a beggar. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something here. It's really, really profound. He begged a farmer, so he begins this identity as a beggar. He begged a farmer in the country to hire him. The farmer hired him, sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to eat even the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing, and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who would have all the food they want and plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding the pigs, eating all their slop? I want to go back to my father's house, and I'll say to him this, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I, I will never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, treat me like one of your employees. Now, we all have done this. Has, has anyone sinned and, like, practiced your, like, prayer <laughs> to make sure that God forgives you this time as if he wasn't going to? Like, all right, yeah, I, I sinned, and Lord, I, I just ask, and it, it's not the words. Why did I give the definition of repentance? It's not what you say, it's what you do. It's when you turn away from what you want. What did he do? He walked out into the wilderness and spent all his money. He, he found humiliation and famine, and he turned around. Now watch what happens when he comes to the Father. You know the rest of this story. So the son set off for home. He repented. How, do you know, how many of you know that the repentance happened in that moment? It wasn't about what he said to the father that mattered. When he changed his mind and he came back, he repented. So why did this happen next? This is why. He set off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him. Who's the father? The Lord. This is a parable. The father saw you and you and you and you coming back. What did it produce in the father? Joy. Ecstatic joy. He ran to the son. And look what happened. From a long distance away, the father saw him dressed as a beggar, the passage translation says. He had put on this identity of, I am not worthy to be received by God because I have sinned so bad that God will never forgive me. But that's not Jesus. Jesus draws you to him again and again. But what is he looking for? It's not lip service. He's looking for true repentance. He's so good. He came back dressed as a beggar and great compassion swelled up in the father's heart. And his son who was returning home, the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms. And this is, it, it's this, this is the passion translation for sure. Swept him up in his arms, kissed him dearly over and over with tender love. And then the son said, so look at this. He turned, or, he turned around. He ran towards the father. The father saw him. Well, he walked. The father, whatever he did. I don't know. It doesn't say. But the father ran to him and embraced him. So the son got what he was looking for, but for some reason was so deceived in his mind that he still felt the need to repent. I'm not saying you don't need to repent. That's not at all what I'm saying. But he didn't receive the mercy of God. He stayed as a beggar in his mind. Because look what he did. The father receives him, right? And then the son said, Father, my prayer, my practice prayer that I had in my mind, this is what will get him to forgive me. The father already forgave him. Why? Because he came back. He came back, but it wasn't just the prayer. It was the heart posture. 
he had made a decision. That is not what I want anymore. This is where I belong. That's where I'm going. The repentance produced something. So he said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could have never deserved to be called your son. Just let me be. And then there's a dash. The father cuts him off. He says, quick. Excuse me. He said, son, you're home now. Turning to his servant, the father said, quick, bring me my best robe, my very own robe. I will place it on his shoulders. God's robe, God's righteousness. The, the gift that we never deserved was placed on a son because he came back to the father. That is, that's controversial because you know what happened is the next son who, he's like, give me the robe, place the ring on his shoulders, uh, excuse me, on his finger, and it says the seal of sonship in the Passion Translation. It was the seal. It was seal it. It's a done deal. You're my son. You're not a servant beggar. You're not rejected by me. You've never been rejected by me. Come back. The Lord is saying, come back to me. And then the son, the arrogant son in the back, you know, I, I, poor guy, he always, I, I, I'm hard on him. But sometimes we're the son. Sometimes we're the jealous one. And I, I preached at, at another church recently, and I shared this, and I don't want to get in details, but like right now, if you look at what's happening in Hollywood and celebrities are getting saved, I don't want to get into whether or not like what people think, oh, is he saved, is he not, are they saved? But there is a jealousy in the church of like, uh, that person who partied and sinned and, and did all this disgusting things is saved now. And I was so wrecked in my heart to realize that the church, Big C Church, collective church, broad stroke term, is so deceived into thinking that the past is bigger than the offering of the gospel. No one deserves the gospel. Everyone didn't deserve it. We all deserve what? Eternal separation from God. We've sinned against God. We, we hardened our heart against God, but Jesus came and he died to give us life. So the son... He's like, Dad, I served you like my whole life. I did all these good works for you. I, I went to church every Sunday. I, I dressed up nice when you told me to. I went to, I tithed. Uh, you know, these are all examples. It's not what the word said. But like these are mindsets that we as, as believers, if we're not careful, we adopt and to think that that's what the Lord is after. Those are all expressions of sonship. They aren't what earns it. You can't earn God's love by being good. It says you can come to him boldly in your weakness and receive his love. So moving forward, I love that he says you can come boldly to the throne. It's Hebrews 10, 19. Um, and, you know, it says because of the sprinkling of the blood, we can come to him. And But Hebrews 10 here, it says now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. He welcomes us into the most holy sanctuary into the heavenly realm. Boldly and without hesitation, for he has dedicated a new life, excuse me, a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us the free and fresh access to God. And since we now have a magnificent high priest, Jesus, to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood to remove impurity. This salvation thing is not about getting into heaven. It's the removing of impurity. It's the removing of addictions. It's the removing of, 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 of bondage, of depression, of suicidal thoughts. It's, it's ripping out what was never supposed to be yours so that you could represent freedom. Jesus Christ crucified in me. New life. You guys with me so far? 
Jesus was marred to the point where we couldn't recognize him for our sin. Fully convinced that nothing will keep us from him, our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience. Huge, guys. That is what keeps us far away from God. When our minds are seared and we don't feel like, oh, I sinned again, I did it again, what am I going to do now? That is the devil. That is the enemy keeping you from the throne of grace. Come back. Sometimes it's humiliating. But partial repentance is not full repentance. Not just sharing the parts that you think we should know, but the real issue. Why do we bring things to the light so that it gets healed? Not so you get condemned. And this, I think it's so God's, God's wisdom that you guys are, are the size that you are. Because you have no choice but to be transparent. Because it can get real awkward real quick if we just do small talk here. Because you're like, you're two feet away from each other always. And God, our church right now, it's the, at, in Salem, we have like seven or eight gatherings. What is God doing? He wants authentic. He doesn't want corporations. He doesn't want, come in, how are you, blessed, highly favored, thanks, good to see you, bye. That's not what God had the church for. It's transparent families who find freedom, who encourage each other, edify each other, strengthen each other in a weakness. None of that can happen if you hide in your sin. So you have to come to the light. Why? It's inviting you to freedom, not condemnation, but freedom that he paid for. He paid for this freedom. So as he's talking about this, he said, Jesus, you're cleaning your conscience. Now we are clean, unstained. This is the truth over you. I declare over all of you right now. This is just the Bible. You are cleaned, unstained, presentable to God inside and out. So now wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us. Who lives within us? Jesus. Christ crucified, the hope of glory in you, knowing that God always keeps his promises. Now this is Hebrews 10. 19 through 23, but look what happens at 24. I know you guys, most of you might not be there because I'm kind of flying through it. But in 24, it becomes about community. It's revelation. Jesus crucified. You're free. You're free. Now, 24, discover creative ways to encourage each other. Motivate them towards acts of compassion. Always doing beautiful works as expressions of love. It is not a time to pull away and neglect meeting together. Huge statement. Because when the enemy comes to destroy, what does he try to do? He isolates you. He isolates. If you look at all the times the enemy came and tempted Jesus, he didn't do it in big crowds. He, in the wilderness, he came out and got him. Now, Jesus had full authority over him, so he didn't compromise. But that's the enemy's tactic. He goes and he finds the one who's isolated themselves that thinks they don't need anybody. And he goes and he finds that one. It says he's like a roaring lion seeking to devour. That's a literal term because lions, what they do, they don't go after herds. When, when animals that are the prey of the lion come together, the lions flee. But when there's a herd, there, there's one separated. They circle it. They trap it. They exhaust it. They get it exhausted. They get it to run and work and try real hard to be good on their own without community. And then they attack. It's a picture of what will happen if we neglect meeting with fellow believers because you'll become exhausted trying so hard to be good, trying so hard not to sin. And then he finds you in your weak place and then he convinces you you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You'll never be free from these things. That is the enemy's way to destroy the called. Don't neglect meeting together. We come together even more frequently, it says. And pastors say, amen. 
eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day dawning. This is all about Jesus Christ's return. This is why we're here, guys. All right, so moving forward, now that I've kind of pre-trained, I'm just going to read. We're almost, almost around third here because I want to leave time for ministry after. I really believe this, guys. When I had to come clean to my wife about what was really going on in my life, I was set free. When I wasn't just giving her what I thought she needed to hear to make her feel better about our relationship, or if I wanted to convince her that I was something that I was not, guess what I have to do? I have to pretend to be that all the days of our life if I don't come clean. But if I say, listen, this is going to hurt to hear, but here's my struggle. Guess what? I now have a partner in my life that can encourage me, who knows my weaknesses, who can check on me, ask me how I'm doing, instead of me pretending that everything's fine. Okay? Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Actually, I'm skipping past that. So in the dream, not limited to that I had and when I that Wesley had and the warfare that I experienced Saturday morning, the main topic was sexual immorality. It was, it was one of those things was that's what the Lord wanted to set people free from. Now, he's so good. He's so good. He's called us to so much more than heaven. He's called us to be like him. Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God in everything you do, for when you will, for then you will represent your Father. Continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ, for he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. It's always about Jesus' sacrifice. He's provided a way. There's no condemnation. There's no separation. There is always freedom. Have nothing to do with these things. Lust, greed, for you are the, his holy ones, and let no one be able to accuse you of them in any form. Guard your speech. Forsake obscenities, worthless insults. They are nonsensical words. They bring disgrace to you and are necessary. Instead, let your, again, invitation, let your worship fill. He was addressing immorality and sin, and then he invited again worship. I don't understand God because he's addressing it, and he's saying, come to me. See, the religious mindset will say, I need to get all of that right before I go to the throne of grace. I need to fix myself so much before I can go worship him. But the, the solution is always full-hearted surrender and worship in the weakness. It's in those places that chains are broken. It's in those places that you find freedom. Keep speaking to each other with words of scripture, singing psalms over each other, encouraging one another. What God wants to do today is he wants to invite a place of repentance. He wants to invite a place where we can actually come to him and say, God, this is really what's going on. Now, there's counsel in the room. If there's something that you are going through that you haven't been able to share, I encourage you to speak to leadership here first. I encourage that because there is a way to go about it because it is painful sometimes. When I shared what I had to share with my wife, fiance at the time, it hurt her a lot. But the Lord and the leadership in my life was able to lead us together where we found victory together. Now, what I wanted to just say, and I'm going to close. Jesus is faithful. He is so faithful to deal with the things that are hidden in our heart.
But it's his love and mercy that he says enough is enough for you. I'm jealous for you. I'm calling you higher. Because here's why he's doing this. You're called to be free so that you can set others free. So that you can proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who need to hear it. This region needs to hear the gospel. And God is done with seeing marriages destroyed. He wants you guys to have the most amazing marriages. Pure, uh, transparent, authentic. And he's raising up his church. Last scripture here. Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows, Galatians 1.21, even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you to let this to you through the sacrifice of his own body as a sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. Right now, he sees you as that. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ is what he sees you through. His wrath has been satisfied. His judgment, it comes to the church next. But there's the invitation of salvation, and then the hard part about it is it becomes an invitation to holiness after. Salvation first, free gift of righteousness, walk through the door, and then what happens? Narrow is the way. So God is jealous for you guys. He's jealous for me. When we pray, I'm going to be standing here and I'm going to be laying my heart before the Lord just as well as you will be. Um, I just encourage you, listen. Let today be a day of freedom. Let today be the day that nothing is hidden anymore. And I know there's a lie saying, I can't do that. It's so hard. It is your freedom's sake that, you're, that is depending on it. So Father, I want to thank you so much for you, Lord for your presence, for your Holy Spirit, God. Father, I come against the lie of offense that would steal this word. And God, we are lovers of your word, doers of your word. Why? Because we want to represent you, God. We want to represent you on the earth. And, and Lord, you want us free. So Lord, I pray right now where every heart, I declare today be the day of freedom. Because when I came clean, guys, it was the most liberating feeling in my life. The condemnation and the guilt was gone the feeling of I'll never be good enough for you, God. I'm always going to be rejected. Those lies were broken off of my mind. I knew that my father accepted me as who I was. And in that place, he drew me to himself and transformation happened. He's not looking for transformation now. He's looking to lead you to transformation through him. So come to him boldly. In Jesus' name, amen.